Hello, church. I hope this week is finding you being blessed and seeing God at work in your world as we try to navigate through this very different time and see what God's will is for us day by day. Well, as we did last week, I want to dig into scripture to see if God's word can give us instruction, give us encouragement, give us hope as to what it looks like to live in a time of scattering. Uh, last week, we looked at four major scatterings we've seen the people of God go through, times where they were together and then sent apart, scattered, and what God's purposes were in each of those times. Because we're in a form of scattering ourselves. So what is God's purpose in this time? What is he trying to teach us? Uh, what can we learn from others who have gone through those experiences that we can thrive during this time, not just try to hang on and survive? Uh, so continuing in that theme, this week I wanted to look at one specific man who lived through a scattering, lived through a time of exile. Someone who had uh, everything before his loss, uh, and afterwards seemingly had nothing. He had a lot to lose, and he lost it all. But somehow he managed to thrive in that exile, thrive in that time of scattering. And so he's been a source of inspiration to me this week as I've looked at his life. And I'd like together to look at his life and see if there might be things we can learn about how he approached it so that we might be able to reflect his faith and his joy, his power, his influence, even in that time of exile. So uh, the person we're going to look at this week is Daniel. But before we look at a few principles we could take from his life and things he did, ways he lived, uh, I'd like to look at the backstory behind him just a little bit. Uh, what did his you know, father, grandfather, great-grandfather, his ancestors uh, do or say, or how did they live in ways that eventually he was impacted by? You know, let's set the stage for his life by knowing where he came from, because if we see what he had, we can really recognize what he lost, the freedoms he lost. Uh, but if we see how he lived, we can see he really lived in freedom. There were so many freedoms that he lived out. And so that word freedom is kind of the theme through all these passages. There were freedoms that Daniel lost, many of them, significant ones. Uh, but there were also freedoms he lived in. He chose to live in the freedoms that couldn't be taken away from him. And so I hope that theme will become apparent as we look at his life. So to set the stage for him, for Daniel, for us... Uh, we turn to Isaiah 39. Now, Isaiah was a prophet, spoke for God, he, he preached, he warned, he taught, he did lots of things in the kingdom of Judah right before they're over, being overthrown. And uh, one of those moments in his life was in conversation with King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah had become ill, was at the point of death, and prayed out to God. And God uh, told Isaiah, go back to the king and tell him he'll have 15 more years to live, in kind of a reprieve. Uh, but that in the generations to come, his own sons, his own genealogy, and those of the nobles around him will be sold off into slavery, basically taken um, to become servants, to become slaves, to become eunuchs in the kingdom of Babylon. So there was this good news for now, but this warning of you know, trials to come. And so I'd like to read that conversation between Isaiah and Hezekiah because Daniel is one of those descendants that came from this family line of this king, of these nobles. And um, this is what he lost. This is where he could have grown up in these families, in this nobility. So in Isaiah 39, 1, 
It says, At that time, Merodach, Baladun, son of Baladun, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. He showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They've come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Hezekiah had no fear of this foreign army. He thought they were too far away to have implications for him and for his kingdom, for his life. And uh, so he just showed them everything, and it became what they came back to get later on. Then Isaiah said in verse 5 to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, it's kind of a condemning statement, honestly. Isaiah, or Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, At least there will be peace and security in my days. So this is a king that's only looking for himself. Now Hezekiah was, um, by and large, a king that pleased God. He wasn't perfect, but, you know, he led restorations and recommitments, uh, renewals of covenants. You know, he was a good king, but here at the end of his days, he just wants to end his life in peace. And even if it means that God's word is coming against his children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, he says, well, at least in my lifetime, there'll be peace. You know, what would have happened if he responded differently? What would have happened if he prayed then, let this not happen to my ancestors. Let them be faithful. God, protect us, protect them. And said he just concedes. Daniel is one of those sons that was taken away to be made a eunuch in the court of Babylon. To become a slave when he was a son either of the king and the king's descendants. It's possible that Daniel himself might have been of that royal line. The Bible's not specific. But here Isaiah says it'll be some of your own line, your sons and their sons that are taken away. And then we read the beginning of the book of Daniel. It says all the, the sons of the nobility. So the king's house and the, the nobles, the royalty, all their sons were taken away. The best of the best. So what did Daniel lose before he ever was born? Before he was ever conceived, before he ever grew up? He lost his birthright. The ability to be possibly a prince, possibly king. Of Judah. He lost his freedom uh, of mobility. Think of the freedom that a king has, a prince has, a nobleman has to travel, the wealth, the status, the prestige, the, the people looking on them as the best of the best instead of the lowest of the lowest. This is what Daniel lost. Um, think of the loss of his birthright. Think of the loss of his inheritance. What do, you know, the princes inherit? They inherit, inherit the kingdom. They inherit wealth. Being made a eunuch is being castrated so that you're not a danger to have children or uh, you can be around the queens and the, the women of the court because you're no risk in that way to them. And so it was 
something else that was taken from Daniel as prophesied here by Isaiah. Uh, not only would Daniel and these other young men grow and not have their kingdom, they wouldn't have children. They wouldn't have that legacy, that inheritance that they could pass down. There's a lot that's lost here. Uh, the authority that Daniel would have had, instead he becomes a servant with no authority. So if we're to set the stage for Daniel, you need to read through here in Isaiah and hear this prophecy uh, to see the groundwork being set uh, for when he would be born. And then as a youth, all these things would come to pass. So if we flip over just to Daniel chapter 1, we can see how um, the record of his life kind of picks up this son who was sent off into exile. How did he live? And it's actually inspiring how he lived. After these loss of so many freedoms, freedoms that he would have had, freedoms lost, 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 lost. He actually lived with power, lived in freedom, despite the loss of these freedoms. There's some freedoms that cannot be taken from us and were not taken from him, couldn't be taken from him, and he lived in those. He kind of claimed those freedoms that God offered him, God-given freedoms, and it's inspiring. And so with us having lost certain freedoms, we need to be reminded, like him, no matter what freedoms are taken away, there are some that can never be taken away. And those are the ones that we want to claim. Those are the ones we want to live in. So Daniel chapter 1 talks about these youths being brought into Babylon. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in his treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, chief servant, chief advisor, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine he drank, and they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. These were men without blemish, so they were, they were perfect specimens physically. They were the smartest, the wisest, the, probably the most athletic, the most uh, perfect in every way. The king of Babylon wanted to glean these uh, best of the best as a sign of his authority over all those nobles in the countries that he was overthrowing, but also as a way to supplement his own court of advisors. Daniel, a prince, a nobleman's son, taken castrated, being made a eunuch in the court of this pagan king. It seems like he lost everything in that moment to become a servant. But right from that moment on, we see Daniel living in the freedoms that could not be taken away from him. And the first one probably being his integrity, right? The very uh, next section, chapter 1, verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or wine that had been sacrificed to pagan idols. He felt convicted. That's not what he wanted. So the first thing we see there is Daniel was a man of integrity, principle. He had the freedom of living as a principled person, and that couldn't be taken away from him. We see it at the end of his life, too. 
um, or later on in his life, in uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 10, uh, there's uh, another king, a son of Nebuchadnezzar, later on, who calls, uh, who sees handwriting on the wall, doesn't know how to interpret it, and Daniel's been interpreting dreams the whole time. And when he doesn't know what to do, the queen, who had been Nebuchadnezzar's wife, comes in. It says, the queen, because of the words of the king, this is chapter 5, verse 10, and his lords came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, which is her son, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. She knows his reputation. He is a man of principle, a man of integrity, a man of ability, because of God's hand being on him. And it lasts that way his entire life. The ability to live as people of principle is a freedom that God gives us. He gives us the ability to live that way. That can never be taken away from us. No matter how much we have, how little we have, do we live by principle? Do we live by the Proverbs of Scripture? Do we live by God's leading? Because Daniel did. And so he was influential because he lived by his principles. The freedom of being principled has nothing to do with where we are, what money we have, whether people around us uh, like us or treat us as nobility or servants or anything in between. The first freedom we see from Daniel, it lasts through his life. It's, it's consistent. Um, he was free uh, to have principles, and we are as well, and to live that way. The second thing we see, though, in this same passage here is certain practices. He was free to live by godly practices. He resolved not to eat this food or drink this wine because he didn't want to defile himself by wine that had been dedicated to pagan gods. He said, just give us vegetables, give us water. We'll be fine with that because this is a matter of principle for us and these are the practices that we're going to live by. If you think about his three friends, they refused to bow down to uh, worship the image that was set up. That's in chapter 3, verse 13. They lived by those principles and they were thrown into the fire, but God saved them. But they said, even if God doesn't save us, these are the practices. Freedom to practice a Christian lifestyle. Freedom to practice holiness. Freedom to live by Christian disciplines and practices. This is a freedom we always have. Daniel lived by that freedom of their practices. Prayer, the practice of prayer, probably the most important practice of them all. I want to read that one for us. That's in chapter 6 when he's about to be thrown into the lion's den. Uh, In 6 verse 10, when Daniel knew that this document had been signed and sealed, uh, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So this had actually been his practice his entire life. And when things became difficult, he didn't give up that practice. He was free to continue practicing his faith, practicing prayer, practicing living a holy life, not uh, being conformed to the ways of the world around him, that culture of that time, but setting himself apart 
to live a holy and faithful life. These practices, the ways we live, are a freedom that God gives us. We're free to practice our faith. It can never be taken away from us. It may look different, maybe in our home. Now here, Daniel's home as being a place of prayer, a place of worship. Isn't that one of the things we talked about in the four scatterings? <laughs> that in exile, homes become centers of worship. That's what's happening here for Daniel. His home is becoming a center of worship. He couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem. We might not be able to gather as the gathered church right now. Do our homes become places of prayer morning, noon, and night? Do our practices look like practices of God's people or just the practices of the people around us? Are we living by our principles or are we caving and catering and just going along with the crowd? These are things that Daniel did well, and people noticed. He had influence on those around him because he didn't live like a servant. <laughs> he lived like a son of a king, he lived like God's man in that foreign land in exile. How about the, the freedom to have peace? Back in that first chapter, again, <clears throat> actually the second chapter, uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king has a dream. And he calls his magicians and astrologers and all his priests and says, I want you to tell me what the dream was and I want you to interpret it. And they say, this is impossible. And he says, well, then you're showing that you don't have any true power. So I'm going to have you all killed. I'll find new advisors for my court. When this comes to Daniel's ears, he doesn't panic. The news that he is supposed to be executed along with all these others. When we hear news about what's going on with the virus, is our first response just to panic? Daniel had freedom to live in peace because he knew God was in charge. So instead, he just calmly says, well, what's been said? Why does the king think this? And he goes to the king and says, well, can we ask God for his help? You know, when bad news comes in about our jobs and bad news and warnings and dire, you know, predictions about health and economy and all these sorts of things come in, do we respond calmly in the face of that crisis? We have the freedom to do that because we have the spirit of peace in us and we know that God's in control. But sometimes we don't. Sometimes we cave. You know, we, we're tempted by fear. We're tempted by doubt and worry. What if, what if? Um, but Father, don't lead us into temptation. You know, let us see that for what it is and then trust God. Daniel trusted. He's inspiring in his peace. So I'd like to read uh, chapter 2, yeah, verse 12. Uh, the king says, or it says here in Daniel 2.12, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. <clears throat> and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So the soldiers are coming to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. You know, he's smart, he's wise, he's calm, he's, he's discerning about how to speak to this person who's coming to kill him. He replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? You know, why is this happening right now? Why is it happening so fast? Why is the king so angry? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in to him and requested the king to appoint him a time so that he might show the interpretation to the king. 
Then they went to their house and they prayed and said, God, we'll be dead if you don't reveal it to us. And God revealed to them what the dream was, what the interpretation was. And Daniel has this beautiful prayer. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He reveals deep and hidden things. And he goes back to the king and the story continues. We have the freedom to live in peace. It's a freedom that's been given to us. But we often don't claim that we don't live in that. We don't realize that we are still free to have peace. And when we're being tempted to give it up, to sacrifice that peace, um, we need to be reminded of examples like Daniel's. If he can live in peace when the captain of the guard is knocking on his door and just say, well, why is this so urgent? Why don't we just ask God to solve this problem? Why don't we see what God can do? Um, we see what God did with a man of faith and integrity of that sort. And it becomes an example to us. Remember from last week, we talked about how Paul said that everything has been written down in the Bible. Everything written in the past was written down for our instruction. So what's been written down about Daniel is to teach us, not just to look at Daniel and say, well, I could never do that, but to say, oh, this is what it looks like for a person of God to live by faith in, in such adversity. And then Paul goes on to say, all these things were written for our instruction, that through endurance and encouragement, we might have hope. So I hope that we would have hope that even if, you know, death is knocking on our door, that we would say, well, God's able to deliver. If he doesn't, we'll trust him, whether it's the fiery furnace or the king's order or a coronavirus or an economic shutdown. We don't know what God will do, but God is capable of anything. So we'll have faith. Maybe one of the final things that I could point out for Daniel and the freedoms that he had was he was free to live with his own people. Now, if you think about it, only three other Israelites, three other people of Judah are listed in that chapter one. So it's possible that in the entire kingdom of Babylon, Daniel only had three friends, three fellow believers, three people who practiced their faith alongside him, who he prayed with who he discussed things with. If we only had three Christian friends in our entire country, I think we'd feel pretty outnumbered. But they don't live as though they're outnumbered. They live as though they represent God. They live as though they're the sons of the king. And they hear God's voice and they live for him and they demonstrate his power to the world. You know, even in times of scattering, I'm sure we have the two or three or four that are our people. We're free to still be with those people, to pray with our people to identify with our people, to stand together with our people, to um, observe our practices with our people. And whether it's a socially distant time together, whether it's a virtual time together, um, whether it's a phone call, we can be with our people. And even if it's three or four, it's enough. It was enough for Daniel and his three friends. He was free to be with his people, even if there were just a few of them. I don't think any of us in this time of scattering is just on our own. I think with technology that God has given people wisdom to develop the world that we're in, we can be in contact with others. So let's not feel like we're alone. Let's spend the time with our people. And even if it's only a few, let's realize we've been given the freedom to be together. Different ways, limited ways perhaps, but to be with our people is a freedom that we need. And it's good for us. It's how God has designed us to be together, the people of God together. And so if you wrap all this up, you just see lots of faith. 
We see a man of faith. He was free to have that faith that couldn't be taken away from him. He trusted God. He stood by his principles, godly convictions. He stood together with his people. Yeah, he stood in peace. He practiced his faith uh, the ways that God led him to, no matter what was going, going on around him. And no one could take that faith away from him. And we see what influence he had on his life what God had on Daniel's life. We see what influence Daniel had on the lives of the people around him. And it's possible, if you think of it this way, that Daniel had more of an influential life, uh, more of an impact on the world in that day and age, growing up as a slave and a eunuch in the court of Babylon, than he might have as a nobility, or even as a prince, or possibly even the king of Judah in the kingdom of Israel. Think about what influence he had in the court of that king who ruled an empire, a pagan empire, to influence it for good, to speak God's truth into that region. It's possible for us now in our times of scattering that if we live for God vitally and if we we embrace that freedom, the freedoms that we are given, we may be more influential in the world now than when we're together in the fellowship of the assembly. That's a powerful thought. You know, not being together may actually give us more of an impact on the world. I think it did for Daniel. I think the impact that was felt in the world, and certainly in the Babylonian Empire, was far greater with him being a servant than him being a prince or a king. You know, this, this brings me to my last thought, and it's the thought of identity. I think Daniel's three friends recognized that they were the sons of the king. They were the sons of of the royalty. You know, they lived that way. It didn't matter that they still didn't live in the kingdom that should have been their inheritance. They were still sons of the king. No one could take that away from them. That's their genealogy. That's their family tree. It didn't matter if they had the money and the status that went along with that. They were born into it. They were given it as their birthright, their inheritance, their name. And they lived that way, even when the tangible parts of that were taken away. So we're sons and daughters of the king. And even if some of our freedoms are taken away, even if our lives are taken away, can we live like sons and daughters of the king, humbly walking before the Lord? I'm proud, but in the best sense of the word, proud of God and who he is, even if we live in a foreign land that doesn't believe or doesn't see. Now, exhibiting God's power to those around us, calmly and uh, with um, faith living as sons and daughters of the king. That is who we are. That is our identity. That's who Daniel was. And he lived that way in exile. He didn't live or act like a slave or a servant or as someone who was beaten down or ruined. But if you think about all that he lost in worldly terms, we realize that the ways that he lived show that he was still free. These things could not be taken from him, and these things cannot be taken from us as well. So I encourage us. We are sons and daughters of the king. Let's live like it. Let's thrive like it. Let's recognize what can never be taken away from us, and let's be influential in the exile scattered to all the places where God still desires to use us. He still desires to love us. We are still his. We've not been sent here to uh, be banished from God's presence. We're not apart from God's presence. 
We live in God's presence. We pray in God's presence. And we will see God do mighty things in our time of scattering. And just like Daniel and the people of that time, we're looking forward to God bringing us back from our scatterings to be gathered together again both now and certainly in heaven we'll all be face to face uh, forever so may that be an instructive word from daniel's life may it inspire you this week as it's inspired me and may it give us hope as we live as the scattered church god bless you this week